This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. Today's guest is someone I'm really excited to talk to, Kelly Murph Murphy, a Marine veteran and winner of season one, Tough as Nails. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. And today, the Director of Veteran Recruitment and Community Outreach at the University of Central Missouri. Murph, welcome to the Resilient Life Podcast. Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. I'm looking forward to talking to you. And, and it's funny, you know, we've been trying to line up having you on for a little bit here. And, um, you know, you're, you're affectionately known as the, the winner of season one, Tough as Nails. But season two is actually just kicking off, uh, I saw on CBS. And for those that don't know, Tough as Nails um, is a competition reality series, which takes contestants uh, through, I, I guess you call it, various everyday occupations who work long hours and then pits them against each other. Tell us a little bit more about that experience, how you got involved in the show and what the experience itself was like for you. So the experience was, was pretty amazing. Um, it was nothing I was looking to do. Um, basically when I retired from the Marine Corps, I started an Instagram account and just to track my athletic stuff, just to kind of have some fun with some t-shirt companies. And then in January, 2019, uh, I got a, a message from a guy saying he's from the Discovery Channel and he would like to um, interview me about being on a show the Discovery Channel was putting out. I thought it was a joke. I'm like, yeah, whatever, thought it was spam. He's like, no, I'm serious. My name's Jonathan. Here's my information, check me out. So I looked and he was sure enough, he's a casting producer for the Discovery Channel. So I did a few Zoom calls with them. Um, and then unfortunately the, the show just never got off the ground. But I thought that was a cool experience. I've never done casting before for a TV show. So several months went by. And then later that year in October, um, he reached out to me and said, hey, um, I'm not casting for this show, but CBS is doing this show called Tough as Nails. You'd be perfect for it. He wow. said, but you have to fill out this little form um, to give them permission to contact you. Um, I filled out the form and the next day I got an email saying, hey, can you do a Zoom interview tomorrow? So I did one Zoom interview that led to the next one. Uh, a few weeks later, they flew me out to California for a week for the casting process. And then right after the new year, they gave me a call and said, hey, we'd love to have you on the show. That's kind of wild. You know, you, you leave the Marine Corps and next thing you know, you're getting DM'd through Instagram about doing reality television. So obviously a huge shift, but, you know, the 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 show tough as nails. Um, I have to think that you were entering in there feeling like you had a little bit of a competitive edge. Yeah, it definitely. So, you know, competing, you know, in the Marine Corps, you compete for promotion, you know, you're competing, you know, you pick your buddies that you want to run with for your physical fitness test scores. So you're kind of competing against them. 
Um, I joined the CrossFit community, so you know, doing local and, and larger competitions. Um, but the show definitely isn't about all physical fitness. It's about you know using your blue collar trades because that's what the show is based upon. So Phil Kogan, who you know is a host of the Amazing Race for the last twenty some years, he was heavily influenced by his grandfather, who was a mechanic and gunsmith during World War II in New Zealand. And he wanted to do something to honor the blue collar trades. So he's been trying to get CBS to really do this show for like the last 10 years. And then last year they agreed to it. Um, you know, they set some money aside and said, you know, see what you can do. So they put this show together, you know, and it really grabs everybody from all walks of life. We have a welder, we have a fireman, the deputy sheriff, we have an iron worker, we have trades, um, a drywaller, you know, all kinds of different trades for season one. And, you know, we compete together as individuals, but we also compete together as a team of six. So it was really a unique competition. So, you know, nobody, you start off with 12 contestants and you end all 12 stay. So you, even though one may get eliminated from the individual competition, they still stay with their team Okay. Eat every episode as a team. So the 12 of you get to really get to know each other. Um, you start bonding from, you know, day one or arguing in some cases, but you try to work through that. And then, you know, at the end you have a team champion, then you have the overall champion. So what was the most challenging thing you did uh, on Tough as Nails? Uh, well, personally for me, the most challenging um, so towards the end of my Marine Corps career, I started developing a fear of heights um, just through some mis missteps, if you will. Huh. Um, so I really started not liking being around heights anymore. And when I retired, I thought, okay, cool. Don't have to do heights anymore. Um, you know, even stepping on the ladder at home is something I really didn't enjoy. But then on one of the episodes, I had to climb up a telephone pole I'm like, oh man. So, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, but it was still getting up in the air, having to trust some gear um, that I've never used before. And I made it through the challenge and it, it made me feel really good. And then a few episodes later, I had to rappel down a much larger building than a telephone pole. And I think that was my favorite part of the show, but it was also the most mentally challenging for me. It wasn't physical at all, but it was all mental. It was just trying to get past that fear. Because um, if I wouldn't have repelled down the tower, then I, I would have lost and I would have been eliminated. Well, I share your fear of heights. So both of those things sound um, not fun to me. Uh, I think the repelling down the building sounds worse than climbing the telephone pole for sure. Um, I'd love to talk to you about how you think the show did in portraying veterans. So you were the veteran on the show, the, the token veteran. Do you think they did a good job in their portrayal? Of course, it's a, you know, it's a competition, but it's a reality show. So they're going to make everybody into a character, right? And how do you think they did in their portrayal of the Marine veteran? Well, the, the best thing about the show when it comes to the casting like that is that we had no script. Phil just said, be yourself and do the challenges the best to your ability. So everybody that you saw for season one was their true character. I had no lines to follow. 
I just got to be myself. So the ability to, to portray who I am is 100% what you saw on TV. So there's nothing fake. I wasn't asked to do anything that a, like a veteran wouldn't do or maybe exaggerate something a veteran would do. Um, the only thing that they, during, so during the show, we wear two different types of outfits. Um, when we compete as a team, we wear our Carhartt gear. So, you know, for my team, we wore the, the, the khaki color pants and then the orange shirt. So your classic, you know, Carhartt yep. um, uniform, so to speak. And then for our individual, when we competed individually, you dress like you would when you went to work. For me, I wear khakis and a lot of flannel shirts. Um, the only thing that they, at first they asked, can you wear camouflage? And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I said, <"Well, laughs> once you retire um, or, you know, or separate from the military, you, you usually don't wear camouflage. Right. So that was the only thing that they asked me to do. And then, you know, they, I explained to them like, look, that's not how we dress usually as a veteran. We, you know, you dress normally. We don't still continue to wear camouflage. And they understood that. And that's why I wear um, what I did on the show was, you know, something I wear every day. But they they didn't ask me to be anybody else than who I was. So I'm very good about being able to represent the veteran community, um, show the American people like a veteran can still be productive um, after he or she retires or separates from the military. Um, and I think people are seeing that in season two as well. Um, one of the cast members for season two, she's a retired Air Force colonel. She's the only female or the only black female to fly the U-2 spy plane. Wow. And, you know, she's pretty impressive so far. Um, she's very well-rounded. I think Meryl is her name. Um, her nickname's the Dragon Lady. But she actually, um, she does a really good job from what I've seen so far about representing the veteran community as well. That's awesome. And I love that. I love that. I mean, I can't blame them for trying to lean in and tell you to put on a camouflage shirt, but I also appreciate when you said, oh, that's not really a thing um, that they said, okay. So uh, that that's good stuff. Well, let's talk about your military background. Um, Marine enlisted at age 18, spent 22 years in the Marine Corps. Talk to us about the decision to join the Marine Corps and where that stemmed from. I mean, you know, 18 years old, um, I know a lot of 18 year olds think they're, uh, they're fully matured adults, but you know, listen, you were, you were still a kid to some degree. And so what led you to take that path into the Marine Corps and then ultimately stay in for 22 years? So one of the things, what I would tell people is my, my dad is probably my probably one of my biggest influences. So when my dad was a huge John Wayne fan, so I think I watched every John Wayne movie produced growing up. But one day I was probably eight, eight years old. I walk in and dad's watching a movie called The Green Berets, you know, John Wayne. And, um, you know, I'm like, wow. I said, he, you know, he told me a little bit about the movie. So I watched the movie and that started my little, um, you know, how like, we call it playing army, you know, growing up and play army. Um, you know, I've found myself going to the surplus store to spend my allowance so I can kind of look like the soldiers I saw on TV. And then um, at this point, you know, playing Army, I had no idea that my dad was actually in the Army in Vietnam. Um, I came across some old pictures at the house and then I asked mom who it was and she's like, that's your dad. I'm like, wow. 
So the hero that I was trying to emulate, you know, out in the yard playing with my friends um, on TV turned out to be somebody like my dad. And, you know, I got to learn more about the military. My dad talked to me about his experience in the army, how he got drafted, you know, where he went to boot camp, what that experience was like, what it was like to be overseas in harm's way. And he just captured my attention. And then growing up, I had a few veterans that influenced me. Um, I used to deliver newspapers on my bicycle. And one of my customers was a Iwo Jima uh, veteran. And he talked to me about the Marine Corps and what his life was like in World War II. And then in high school, one of my coaches um, was a large man, large Cherokee Indian. His name was Coach Koontz, and he was a, a former Marine. Um, so I got to learn a bit about the Marine Corps from his perspective. And then in high school, um, I'd say about my senior year, I was a good student, but I knew that college wasn't for me. So I checked out trade schools and I checked out um, different things like that. I thought about being a truck driver, and then one day in English class, right before lunch, when my friends turned around and said, what are you doing after school today? I'm like, I don't have any plans. He's like, well, why don't you talk to the Marine Corps recruiter with me? And I thought, wow, Vernon's looking out for me. Well, Vernon was just looking for people to join so he can get promoted after boot camp. <laughs> that refer a friend thing, refer two friends that join, you get, so I'm like, okay. Well, anyway, Vernon talked to me about going to the recruiter. So we went after school that day. Um, I remember, you're walking into the recruiter's office and you see that Marine in the dress blue trousers with the khaki khaki shirt and tie. I'm like, wow, that's an impressive guy. And then I just liked the way he talked to me. He talked to me like I was a man. You know, at the time I was 17, but he talked to me like I was an adult, um, didn't demean me, just talked to me about my future. He seemed really vested in, in what I had to say. Um, so I made the commitment, yes, this is something I wanna do. Um, you know, being 17, I had to go talk to my parents. So that night I went home. Um, my mom said she wasn't surprised. She wasn't ready for me to make that decision, but um, she kind of knew from growing up and who my influences were that the military was going to be something that I was going to do. So that, um, I believe that Wednesday, they went and met with the recruiter, signed the necessary paperwork to allow him to take me up to Indianapolis to get the medical, you know, physical done. And then he picked me up. Um, at the flagpole. So I remember even to this day, this was in February 13th of 1990. I walked out of the high school. It was a crisp day and standing by the flagpole was a Marine in full dress blues. And I'm like, I'm strutting across the little foyer to get to the, the flagpole. Cause I'm like that guy right there, that guy in the blues, that that's, that's my ride. He's here for me. <laughs> uh, so I think up until that moment in my life, you know, I had played football and, you know, did track and field and stuff like that. But I don't think I had as much pride as I did up until that point, knowing that that recruiter was there for me and I was going to be, you know, wearing and talking like him. And so he took me up to Indianapolis and I enlisted in the Marine Corps for six years. So we, um, so my first enlistment, like I said, was six years because I, I joined a very technical MOS and military occupational specialty. So since the school was so long, it was an automatic five-year enlistment, but they're like, hey, if you go an extra year, sign a six-year obligation, then you could become a private first class at a boot camp. And I'm like, what? Automatic promotion? What, for a year? Sold. Yeah. So I guess that was an easy sell is what they call it in the, in the recruiting field. Um, so I joined that February. I actually joined on 
Valentine's Day of 1990. And then I shipped, I graduated boot camp, or graduated high school in May of that year. And then about six months later, um, I shipped off to boot camp. And you you do those six years, um, and then you do uh, an additional several years to follow. I mean, I I think it's not the it's not the traditional route that people stay in for over twenty years. Um, uh, a lot of people serve their time, they serve their country, and then they go on to do different things. You know, I come from a, a family where my dad did 30 years in the Marine Corps. So, um, and my dad's always very quick. He did 11 years active duty, 19 years in the reserve. And my dad always tries to drive people if they're leaving to say, well, just stay in the reserves, at least stay in the reserves. And so um, I understand that larger commitment to putting in that time. What, what made you decide to stay in for 22 years? Um, was it the the comfort of what you knew as, as the Marine Corps? Was it um, the challenge? What was it? Well, when I, so when, after boot camp, um, I went to my first schooling, which was in Millington, Tennessee, which is all now closed. It's now moved down to Pensacola. Um, I was learning electronics, basic electronics, so I could work on helicopters. But in Millington, Tennessee, I just struggled with the, the classes. Like it just, I couldn't get it to grasp. I failed, I'd fail the test and I'd have to do Saturday school to make up for it. And then I would do good. And the next week I failed the test and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I made a mistake. I picked the wrong job. And then I, I made it through that school. Um, and then I got to Camp Pendleton, California for my second school. So Millington, Tennessee was where I learned basic electronics. Then my second school is now I had to take that basic electronics and now apply it in my second school, and that was to learn um, electronics and avionics systems on Hueys and Cobras, so two of the Marine Corps' attack helicopters. And then when I got to the school, um, it just clicked, um, you know, because we did a lot of hands-on at the second school. Um, so the theory that I learned in um, Millington, Tennessee, I was able to apply it on the helicopters, and I, I love my job. Um, I learned the aircraft quickly. Um, I was able to get promoted relatively fast because I knew the aircraft. Um, and then before I knew it, and I did a few deployments. And then before I knew it, my six years was up. I'm like, wow, that that was so fast. I couldn't believe how fast it went. And so I decided, you know, I love the Marine Corps. I like what I'm doing. Um, so I enlisted for another four years. Um, the Marine Corps then decided, you know what, we the next place for you now is to be an instructor. So then I ended up going to instructor school and then I stayed on Camp Pendleton and I taught new Marines from coming from now Pensacola how to work on um, the Huey and Cobras. That four years went by so fast teaching. Um, I volunteered for recruiting duty because um, in the Marine Corps there's three big, they call it the big three when it comes to special duties. You have drill instructor duty, um, embassy duty and recruiting duty. And since I was in a very technical job, um, they wouldn't allow me really outside the MOS to do anything else. But when I volunteered for recruiting duty, since that's the least favorable of the three, uh, the Marine Corps said, okay, you can go do recruiting duty. So I did recruiting duty in Southern Indiana. Um, I was about 29 miles north of Louisville, Kentucky. And it was a 
it was probably one of the hardest jobs I've ever done in my life when it comes to um, your career basically hangs upon the fact that you have to find two quality applicants to enlist every month. And you wow. do that for 36 months. So they say you have 36 separate missions. You know, you can do good one month and the next month fail miserably. You do good the next month. But it was also a very re rewarding time because I got to talk to people like this high school kid that I was, you know, the kid that really didn't have no plans. And I got, I enlisted 66, um, actually 70 young men, but 66 shipped by the time I left. And out of the 66 um, young men that I shipped at the boot camp, 63 graduated on recruit training. So I was so happy because I invested into those kids. Like when they enlisted, I, we came in, we worked on their physical fitness, we worked on their mental knowledge. Um, you know, I told them as much as you can overemphasize how hard boot camp was, I would overemphasize it. Um, I wanted to set them up for success. So that was actually my probably hardest slash most rewarding time was recruiting duty because I got to influence so many young men. And it's kind of wild when you think about it because you became that guy in the dress blues that was waiting to pick you up that day. And you did that for 66 kids, 63 that graduated. So um, you know what a pivotal moment and important moment that was for you. And it's got to be pretty rewarding to think that you had that same effect on, on those uh, future Marines. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, very cool, you know, come to fruition moment, I'm sure. I want to talk to you a little bit about what happens after you leave the Marine Corps, because one of the things that I saw, um, and I I'd like you to expand on this and, and help me understand, you know, for us at the Travis Mannion Foundation, uh, we work to create community and um, we're trying to create community uh, for our veterans that are coming back and feeling disconnected. And we want to bring them that same sense of camaraderie and community that they felt in the Marine Corps. So we are making sure that we're providing opportunities for them to be around uh, other veterans and, and also uh, civilians. We call them inspired civilians, our, our civilian volunteers at the foundation. But you took a little bit of a different path after leaving the Marine Corps. You kind of separated yourself from the military community. And I'd like to know how that played out and what that decision was and why you made that decision. Yeah, and that's a really good question. So in 2008, I went to uh, 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines, and I did a few deployments um, with the infantry. Um, the Marine Corps tries to take you out of the fight, so to speak. You know, every couple deployments, um, they try to send you somewhere non-deployable. So the Marine Corps said, okay, you're going to go to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. So, you know, as no, it's all non-deployable. The Marine Corps has four schools down there, four occupational schools like motor transport school, military police, um, or at least two of them. So I went down to Fort Leonard Wood in 2000, I think 11, when I got back off deployment. And I, um, I'm like, wow, you know, coming home every night, I'm not sleeping in the dirt. You know, I'm not deploying. I get to see the kids. Um, every day, because during that time with 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines, I 
missed out on a lot of my children's lives. And at the time, around 2011, my oldest daughter was, uh, I believe, sixth grade. And I knew that if I stayed in, um, I'd be deploying and I would miss pretty much a, a big chunk of their life growing up. So I was a first sergeant, so I was an EA. Um, I was probably gonna get promoted to sergeant major the next year. And um, that's the route that I really wanted to go. Um, but I had the decision to make, you know, what do I love more? Do I love the family and the kids or do I love the Marine Corps more? So I made the decision to retire. Um, and that's kind of how I ended up in Missouri. I ended up getting a job with Lowe's Corporation as HR manager. Um, and then when I retired, like I said, I loved the Marine Corps. I wasn't ready to go, but I made the decision so I could see the family. And, um, you know, you try to prep yourself for it mentally. Um, but when I retired, um, I separated myself, like you mentioned, totally from everything. I wouldn't become part of the VFW. I refused to be part of the American Legion. They have a small Marine Corps League up here. I, I wouldn't wouldn't be a part of it. I wouldn't go to any military function, uh, military ceremony. Uh, and I think re the reason why was because I was afraid if I was around that group of people or that environment, that it'd make me miss the Marine Corps even more. So I just kind of tried to totally separate myself from everything military and almost kind of forget about it, if you will. Um, you know, I, I started CrossFit when I was um, with 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines, and then I probably worked out twice as hard after I retired than I did um, when I was in because it gave me something to focus on. Obviously, I like the physical part of it, but it, it gave me a, a, a go-to place mentally that I could feel good about myself. Um, and this whole time, you know, I, I thought I was ready um, to face the civilian life, but I, I definitely wasn't. It was, it was a hard struggle. I, um, I even went to the point where um, my friends would have like reunions and I, I wouldn't go because like I said, I was afraid that if I got around them, it would just make me miss the Marine Corps even more. Um, it got so bad at one point of probably about three, four years ago, I, I saw a counselor just to kind of figure out what's going on in my head. Like, why am I struggling so much to adjust why can I make friends like I used to? You know, I was, I couldn't, you know, find people to rely on like I did in the Marine Corps. Um, and, you know, so I was pointing the finger a lot of myself. And then um, I finally broke down a few years ago and went to a reunion with some of my friends that I served with down, down in Amarillo, or excuse me, San Antonio. We met, um, we hung out for the weekend. It was a great time to reconnect with them and kind of maybe start some self-healing, if you will, and um, kind of connecting with them. One of them had also separated from the Marine Corps. And then I talked to him, his name's Scott, and realized that Scott kind of had some of the same issues that I had, just hard time adjusting. So what what can we do to, to better that adjustment? So that's something I kind of work with with some of the veterans I met around here is I kind of just tell them about my struggle. Um, you know, was disconnecting from everybody the right thing to do? Um, probably not. Uh, you know, that I thought for me, that's how I could handle it. But, you know, so I just kind of talk to veterans now that I run into and they ask me about what's it like to separate. And I just tell them the story of, of how I struggled and like, because I even, 
I wouldn't even work for a military employer. Like I went to Lowe's Corporation kind of on purpose because it was all civilian. Um, so it was a little bit different transition, but so I did struggle. Um, and then like tough as nails was, came at the right time because I was coming up on what had been my 30th year in the Marine Corps. And the show almost, for, for lack of better words, made me feel alive again because it put me in a position where you almost felt like you're in the military. You had to get to know a small amount of people in a short amount of time to accomplish a mission or in this time, a, a job. Yeah. So the show made me feel like I was almost in the military again when it came to communicating, getting to know people, your strengths and weaknesses so we can accomplish a job or a mission. So, um, and then the, sh the show's done great things to help me connect um, back to the veteran community as well, just because of the opportunities. I think it's so beautiful. I, I have to tell you, I was not expecting your answer to be, I isolated and disconnected from the military community because I was afraid I was gonna miss it too much. Um, I thought you were gonna say I was burnt out. I just, I needed a break. Um, and I think to hear that, you know, one of the things that, that I would have told you if I had met you during that period when you were struggling, I would have said probably what your friends were saying to you, you know, come on that, come to that reunion, come join that group because you're going to find some healing within that. And that's a lot of what we try to do at TMF is um, because everybody as they're transitioning, they're dealing with different, different things. Um, but at the end of the day, if you can be a part of a group that can find that shared experience that you can connect with, right? That's super important. And, and having those relationships as you're struggling and dealing with things, again, super important. Um, so, so obviously you go from that place and then you become this, um, a beacon of a veteran on a, a show on CBS. So you're, you're like kind of thrust into the spotlight. Where is your connection now um, with the military community, with other veterans? Obviously within your day job, you're, you're working for back in the recruitment game, right? And um, uh, working with veterans, but how do you feel now and where are your connections with, you know, the VFWs of the world, like these groups that are tied to veterans, you know, our organization. Um, do you have affiliations that, that are meaningful to you or are you just kind of um, teetering in and out? Well, it's, so I haven't joined a certain group yet, but I go to several meetings um, because of my job here at the university, um, I was the director of the military and veterans center. So that center basically, whenever anybody went back to college, particularly this, this community, um, my office processed like their VA benefits and we tried to be um, a location to where if they had any kind of struggles or issues, we can kind of point them in the right direction to help them out. Um, but because of the show that was uh, pretty popular, um, the university asked me if I'd be willing to do a different role so, so what I do now is I talk to not only veterans, but I talk to military service members and the local national guards about um, using their benefits, um, coming to this university in particular. And then I do community outreach. So I talk um, to community groups. I work with the VFW, the American Legion on Veterans Affairs and Issues. 
Um, I go to different meetings to, to basically tie in um, what this university can do to help the veteran community and vice versa. Um, I also connect with the alumni that are particularly in this case veteran alumni um, because a lot of them are business owners. They can provide opportunities for some of the veterans graduating here, whether or not that's employment, internships, um, maybe volunteering their time um, to help veterans out. So the, the show has done so much, like I've had congressmen come to my office, particularly just to see me, to, to talk to me about what they can do to help the veterans in the state of Missouri. Um, I personally had one-on-one -on -one time with the governor of Missouri. He asked me to come up and meet him in his office, uh, talk to me about some veteran stuff. Um, I got to speak to several um, representatives from the state of Missouri, um, from both the House and the Senate side. I spent a whole day at the Capitol talking to them. I have this like different con I have contacts now that I would have never had if it wasn't for being on the show when it comes to helping veterans and the veteran community. So I have I've chose not to be a part of a certain organization because I don't want to show favoritism, but I, I work with all of them now, which a few years ago, like I said, I, I would have never stepped foot in one of their offices, spaces or or meeting rooms. Now I'm now I talk to those individuals all the time. Well, I love that you took the success of the show and used your platform to come back to Missouri and work with veterans. I mean, that really says something about your character um, and, and everything that you stand for. And frankly, your commitment and love of the military that you're willing to take that, you know, that bit of fame and say, okay, how can I put this to best use? Uh, it's pretty awesome. I also think given your background on tough as nails, a lot of the blue collar work you were doing, I'm gonna have to talk to you more about um, our op legacy campaign that we run at the Travis Mannion Foundation where we execute hundreds of service projects across the country each year because I'm thinking you would be a pretty good lead for one of our op legacy projects in the Missouri area. So we'll definitely um, connect about that offline, but I'd love to get you more connected with TMF um, and, and the work that we're doing. So what's next for you? That's a good question. Um, so, well, right now I have several um, organizations I'm kind of working with to just for the veteran side. Um, personally, I'm I'm not really sure. I know that the the show hopefully in a few years is going to have an all stars, um, and um, I'm assuming since I'm the first season winner that I'll, I'll be back for an All-Stars. So hopefully be able to represent the veteran community again when it comes to that. Um, but the, the veteran community, I, wanna, I guess the biggest thing too, I wanna tell like the active service members now is that they're just as much a veteran as I am, even though they're still serving. And I, the reason I bring that up, so my youngest daughter joined the Navy last year and she's 18 and she's up in Great Lakes, Illinois. And I was, I called her and said, Hey, happy Veterans Day last year. And she's like, I'm not a veteran. I'm like, yeah. Oh yes, yeah, you are. Yes, you are. So, and then I've talked to a lot of service members and they just don't see themselves as being a veteran because they're still serving. So I guess that's the, a message I like to try to send out to them as well is just because you're still serving this, you're a veteran. As soon as you raise that hand, you're you become not only a service active duty but a veteran as well, right? So, 
Um, that's pretty awesome. And I think that is a, that is a big misconception. People don't always understand that. Um, and I love that your daughter is, uh, I love that your daughter's serving. She's in the Navy, correct? Yes. I think that's so awesome that, um, and I'm sure you must be so incredibly proud of her. Certainly, you know, again, another full circle moment, you know, you, uh, looking up to your dad and, and certainly, um, your choices in the Marine Corps helped shaped uh, the path that she chose as well. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. She she got accepted to um, Mizzou University and was going to do Navy ROTC. Um, and then one day she just came home and said, you know, I want to get started now. So I'm like, I know what that meant. I wasn't ready to, to have her leave. So and then she brought the recruiter over to the house. I'm like, oh, great. Navy recruiter, <laughs> the Marine House. But, you know, I was nice to him because um, I knew he had a job to do. And I understand how hard that could be when you're uh, facing the, the father of a, of a young man or young lady who had military experience. Um, sure. Hard spot to be in. So I, I gave the recruiter or tried to give him a lot of grace. Um, you know, he did a good job explaining the Navy to her. And, um, you know, she made the commitment. But it, it's pretty neat. Like you said, full circle, you know, it. Who knows what's going to happen with her career? She's going to be a fire control technician, so she's going to. She doesn't really have a um, her orders yet, so we don't know exactly what she's going to do. But it, it has to do with radars and weapons control systems on the ships. That's awesome. Uh, you must be very proud, um, Murph. It's been really awesome to talk to you today. I want to. I want to follow up with one additional question that I ask all the guests: What does living a resilient life look like for you? Um, I would say that res I would have to go back to, um, like taking advantage of opportunities, you know, if, um, if I wouldn't have taken the opportunity to do like tough as nails, like this whole year of my life would be totally different. Um, and it was a one-time opportunity. And if I would have declined it, I would never got a second chance. So I think living that life, the resilient life means that you take advantage of every opportunity that comes at you because you never know what that opportunity can bring. Yeah, so true. I, I've never actually heard someone frame it in that way, but it's so true. I mean, living a resilient life is, is a little bit about seizing the moment, right? And And taking on every opportunity and not saying, Hey, you know what? Uh, this will come back around, or I'm not. This isn't the right time. I, I always talk to people, and they say, you know, people talk to me about, and this is girlfriends, like, oh, you know, uh, we're gonna have a baby when this is all set, and this is all set, and the time, and I'm like, the time is never gonna be right. The time is now, right? You just go for it, and you've yeah. got to seize the day. Uh, I love that. Uh, I love everything you're doing to help elevate the platform for our military community and the platform that you've been handed through tough as nails and taking it back to Missouri to continue working with veterans. Uh, it's super admirable and um, just really proud to be associated with you and, and everything you're doing. I hope to see you on an all-star uh, edition of Tough as Nails. And um, and I thank you so much. Uh, now that I know you're a CrossFitter, we're definitely another thing going to get you wrapped up in the Mannion Wad, which is coming up this April. So um, 
We're going to have you be a, uh, help us participate in that too. I don't know if you've ever done the Manion Wad, but it's a, it's a leg killer. So um, we'll have to get you prepped for that. But Murph, thank you so much uh, for being on The Resilient Life. It's been awesome to have you on. And um, I look forward to, you know, continuing our conversation and, and working together um, to help the military community and help our veterans as they transition. Oh, same here. I appreciate your time today very much. Thanks so much. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and share The Resilient Life with your friends and family. And thank you again for another episode. Uh, and please join us again.